When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Happy Masters Day. Happy Twins Home Opener Day. It's a great convergence of sporting events today. We get things rolling with the opening bell. Want to ring the bell? A drive to left field. Brian Dozier hits one. Off the top of the fence and then into the seats. His fourth home run of the year. Base hit left field. Rosario charges. They're going to send the runner. Here's Rosario's throw to the plate. Right on target. A strike from Rosario to Castro to cut down the run. Ground ball backhanded. Sano with that rifle arm gets him. What a play by Miguel Sano. Ending the ball game. It was tough conditions. I mean, the cold and the wind and the snow. And um, I think you just got to have uh, a mindset of going out there and try to find a way to compete the best that you can. Uh, you know, we gave up the home run in the first inning, uh, similarly to a couple days ago. But we hung in there. Doge got us going again, and then we put together a nice inning with some big hits. Right, we had so we had we had the full experience yesterday. We had uh, snow flurries the size of baseballs in Pittsburgh. Correct. You had some bombs. You had Dozier hitting a bomb. The Eddie Rosario experience on multiple fronts. Never dull. In that game. And then uh, you, you had Jake Odorizzi struggling and the Twins revamp bullpen going pretty much lights out for the last four or five innings of the game. That was that was something in Don't Pittsburgh forget, yesterday. Don't forget Sano, too. Don't forget Sano. What, three hits? And uh, that play, by the way, so that play to end the, the game was a fantastic play. It he, was. He has a cannon for an arm. He, he got that ball, and I thought, he's not going to get the guy. There's no way. I think he beat him by a step. That was a heck of a play. Yeah, yes, so he we, has a howitzer, yes. We had we had the, the Rosario, Sano, bullpen, Snow, and, as you said, Dozier experience. Uh, the, the Eddie Rosario experience, so we had, uh, let's check the boxes here. We had failed to run out a pop-up, and then, like, his interpretation of the play was, well, the catcher didn't know where it was. Didn't the catcher say... I can't see yeah. it. Cervelli said, I can't see it. And Rosario. That's what he just assumed. Oh, okay. And Rosario. Stand here. Rosario claimed he stood there and tried to say, it's over there, trying to fool him to run the wrong way. <laughs> so Eddie tried to fool Cervelli. Correct. Rather than just like running to first base. That's that correct. was frustrating in the moment. And then, uh, and then he guns a dude at the plate, which I think last year, his outfield assists were way down because teams just stopped running on him, right? Because two years ago, he led the league. In three quarters of a season, he led the league in throwing guys out from right and left field. Mm -hmm. And then he gets on base and scores on a single from first base. So it was uh, 
all of the Eddie, o, Eddie Rosario experience was in full play last night. I think the one, I think the, the most important play actually was, was the one where he gunned the guy at the plate because if Pittsburgh scores that run, they were up 3-2 to two at the time, they go up 4-2. to two. Yes. Instead, it keeps it 3-2, ends the bottom of the fourth, and the Twins come up in the fifth and score four. So I, I would say of, of the, the Rosario experiences on uh, Wednesday, the most important was the defensive play, actually not at the plate. Yeah. Uh, another thing, too, last night I was talking with some people on Twitter about Fernando Rodney. Uh, well, number one, we're already seeing the benefits of just a deeper revamp bullpen where, okay, Taylor Rogers can come in in the fifth or sixth inning instead of the eighth inning. And you can you can use him more as a specialist as opposed to, all right, you're just the setup guy in a team that hopes to go to the playoffs. Uh, but I, I, I got like five or six tweets from people saying, Rodney looking shaky already in his first couple outings. He was trying to eat snowflakes from the sky last night, which is kind of fun. But Rodney looking shaky. How long until Addison Reed replaces Fernando Rodney as the closer? That's not going to happen. A, it's not going to happen because the Twins are smarter than that. They know that your best reliever is better used in the 7th, 8th, ninth innings of close games. Maybe games in which you're losing by a run just to keep it close so that you can have a chance with that offense and that firepower to come back and steal a game from somebody. But Addison Reed was... He didn't need the closer role when he came to the Twins. In fact, they had conversations behind the scenes saying, we're going to pay you like our ace reliever, and we're going to pitch you in the highest leverage situations. And he said, yes, I'm all for it. I don't care about... As long as you pay me like the best reliever, I don't care about yeah. saves. As long as we're on yeah. the same page about how valuable I am and when I pitch. So you trust me, you'd rather have Fernando Rodney pitching like he did last night with a four-run lead in the ninth than a one-run lead against the heart of an order with... You know, Aaron Judge coming up. Those are the spots you want Addison Reed pitching in. And this goes back to the uh, the conversation that we've been having on this show for now a year plus, I think, which is the, the roles have completely changed. I, there will be baseball fans that will long hold the notion that the guy that closes the games is, is your top guy from the bullpen, but that's just not true now, and it's not the most important time. Some teams it still is, but yeah, a lot of but teams it's are getting more away from that. Yep. And, and Indians, Andrew Miller is, yes. is not a, a, and, a saves guy. And this does not mean that that you want your closer to be a dumpster fire. I get that, but it also means that that if you are going to s- sort of move into the new era or generation or thought process of baseball. You want to bring in your best guy to get the key outs. And and this whole, I mean, th- this goes back to, I, I remember when we started doing the show together, you were complaining about Guardy because he would continually say, well, Perk's my closer. Perk, yes. I'm not bringing Perk in for anything but the ninth, and it has to be a lead. And if it's a tie game, I don't like doing that. Yeah. And that conversation goes back probably three-plus years. So, yeah, the now, now the thing about Fernando is it is going to be fun. It is going to be there's there's well, there's def- going to be fun. It's going to be. <laughs> let's just say that it could cause it could cause Molly to uh, start smoking. It could cause him plenty of angst, and it will cause <laughs> Twins fans angst. But if if Fernando Rodney repeats uh, this month the April that he had last year with the Diamondbacks, yeah, it's not always going to be easy. But it does make the most sense for Reed to be brought in 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 the key. Moments and that can't just be the assumption that the key moment is going to be in the ninth. Yeah, well, your your two best relievers are Trevor Hildenberger and Addison Reed. If you if you trust Hildenberger's season last year and not his rough spring, which I do. I mean, guys have rough springs. I think Ichiro when he first came into the big leagues was like unplayably bad in spring training and then won the MVP award. So I trust Trevor Hildenberger's season and he went two scoreless last night. He was he was sharp. Uh, only took him 30 pitches in those two innings. So it shows you the Twins and Paul Mother in the front office are 
They're already thinking along those lines. Let's put the two best relievers between the sixth and eighth innings, and then four-run lead. Fernando Rodney, come on in if you want to put a couple guys on base. Not a big deal. That's fine. Just go eat some snowflakes. Put a couple guys on base. Yeah, just exactly. Make it fun. Do your celebration and uh, and do your thing. And the lineup Hopefully again, like they, they, yeah, exactly. They fall behind. I think it's going to be a theme throughout the year where. They might fall behind 2 nothing like they did last night in the first inning. And then this lineup is just going to keep coming at you. Brian Dozier, Miguel Sano, even uh, Byron Buxton had a double down the line. It wasn't his hardest hit ball, but he doubled down the line last night. I mean, mm-hmm. it's this team is set up to be, I think, as good as we were anticipating going into the season. And even though it's only five games, there's a lot of really good signs in those first five games. I think my favorite uh, moment from the game on Wednesday might have been Miguel going right through the stop sign, though. Did you hear his Gene. post-game? He did, to his credit, he did the post-game interview. Yeah. Uh, he had a translator, did the first question he answered through the translator, and then answered the next, oh, no, next did, three in I English. Did, I did not know that. Good and for I him. And I love that. I think, I think. Good for him. I always admire when guys, <laughs> but Gene, sec- English Gene, as second language, Gene, try that. Gene Glynn with the stop sign, and Miguel either n- not paying attention or just not caring, just barreling right, right through that thing. But he said in his comments to, uh, I believe Marty Gellner was it. Yeah, Marty Gellner. And it was I'm, I we should I should have found this before the show, but it was like people think I'm fat, but I'm very fast. It's not like people. It was like people think I'm fat, but I'm very quick. And I have deceptive speed. Gene Glenn doesn't kinda, understand that I'm fast. But for a guy that weighs like yes, 290 pounds, he's yes. actually a lot faster. He creeps down that first baseline a lot faster than you would think for a guy that size. Yeah, but Gene, Gene Glenn's pr- probably thinking it's 30 degrees out. This guy's got hamstrings that could snap at some point. Mm-hmm. He's got a rod in his leg. I probably shouldn't send him. And Miguel Snow's like, ah, no problem. I'm just going to keep going. Yeah. Like he he also slowed up before he got to third base. Oh, he did. I was. And then like then blows through the stop sign. Yeah, like, dude, just just keep going. That was my favorite moment of the so, game. So Twins three and two coming home today, and uh, they have shoveled out all of the snow at Target Field for a frigid opener, but. I heard one of Dave's updates. It's going to be even colder on Saturday when they play, right? Like, today's going to be in the 30s, and Saturday's going to be in the 20s. 28 is the forecast high from our friends at 5 Eyewitness News. Oh, that'll be pleasant. That'll be pleasant. What's your desire? I know comfort of press box aside, if you had tickets, if you had tickets, you know, non-Legends Club premium tickets where you're sitting outside, what would your desire be to go to any of these games this weekend? I mean, baseball's back, so it's fun, but... Um, I would probably go there. I would probably, I would probably stand. If you actually, you have to go into bat and barrel, Judd. No, wait, wait, wait. the The philosophy should be this: if you walk around the concourse, they they've got they've got heating uh, devices in the concourse above the stands, so you could actually get below one, one of those, watch a little bit, and then yes, head either to bat and barrel or town ball. I got bad news for you. I think I'll be ma- making an appearance at Bat and Barrel much sooner than I originally thought. You're such a fraud. Well, and here's the other thing, though. Spend the entire offseason ripping it. Here's what I don't get. Well, I still don't. I hate the name. But here's what I don't get. Don't, don't, make sure you take a picture how, for evidence. How on earth How on earth is this not a three-game homestand? I think it's a nine-game homestand. You've got three against Seattle. Houston comes to town for three. And I believe next weekend the, the White Sox come here. How does baseball stick you with nine consecutive games at this point? Yeah, I don't know. They they obviously don't really take into account weather other than maybe the first 
the first series and of the season they take the way, into account weather. And it's actually worse. It's a 10-game home. Okay, 10 it's game a four-gamer with the Sox. And by the way, here was the simple fix. I've got the easiest fix to bail you out of two games for sure. They should have opened at home in Puerto Rico. They should be playing Cleveland today in Puerto Rico. That series, it's at the end of, I believe they played the White Sox and then go to to play Cleveland, I think, for two. Is that correct? In Puerto Rico? From this Tuesday. Okay. Yes, the 17th and 18th, Puerto Rico. Why not have gotten creative and given the and given the first two home games, in quotes, Twins Cleveland in Puerto Rico and then brought the Twins home here? You and that Pat are the fix. two most enraged people about this in the Twin Cities. Could you guys it's just true. get together and put the schedule together for 2019? I'm not enraged. It lacks common sense. It is never-ending bitching lacks, from you and Pat. Though. It lacks like, common like, sense. I agree with you guys that, okay, they probably could have done more with the schedule, but in two weeks, we're not going to be talking about this. It's really not going to be a big deal. They're going to be cold for a couple days. They played in Dan Snow still, yesterday. I still, I still harp on the fact that these are the same schedule makers that put the Twins here against the Marlins in April and sent the Twins to Miami in June, like four years ago. That's just so, it lacks all common sense. It does. Yes. Yep. So use common sense when you call me. I'm available. I'm available at night all the time. Major League Baseball, just call me. Say, what do you think? I'll say, you're stupid, and then we'll fix it. I think you should relax. I'm with Dave on this. I mean, I agree with you, but. I, but I'm just saying. It is I, what it is. Doesn't, doesn't lacking common sense bug you a little bit? Not as much clearly as it bugs you. It really bothers me. <laughs> it really, really bothers it me. It bothers, I think, Phil and myself, but we get over it. Pretty quickly. Yeah, well, we're fine. Because and, baseball's and, back. The Twins are 3 and, and 2. And by the way, yeah. The Twins have a bullpen. Brian Dozier's hitting bombs every at, at bat. I'll be very clear. And you're bitching about No, no. I love ins- Target. I love Target Field and I would not replace outdoor baseball in this town for anything. All of that being said, all I'm saying is this schedule, you could clear it up a little bit and give yourself a better chance and being home for 10 games right now is just dumb. We actually got an early report on the conditions out there today. Conditions are really tough out there. Really, really, really tough. But, uh, you know, I thought I played well. I really did. And, you know, I can't wait for the weekend. I feel good. I was really that, do. Was that Dozier? Yeah, I think it was Dozier. Dozier Woods? Yeah. <laughs> actually, it's a good segue. The Masters. We're watching live coverage on the internet, much to judge chagrin. Not. On CBS. On ESPN why, why or Masters.com. Why to my chagrin? I feel I like, like you're already over the Masters oh, conversations no. on this show. No, 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 no. That's not true. Do we have an Don't early assume. leaderboard yet, Dave Harrigan? We absolutely do, Philip Mackey. Okay. Hello, friends. It is a tradition unlike any other. It is a tradition that's very unique. VJ Singh at one under par along with Bernd Wiesbrucker. <laughs> Also, one under par. VJ Singh, we're the in the way, back, the way back machine here. Correct. Apparently. 55 year old VJ. Hmm. Tied for the lead atop the board at the Masters right now with several players like Wesley Bryan, Dylan Fratelli. A hole in one from yesterday's par three, by the way, for Dylan. That's nice. Also, also Jose Maria Olaf Hubble. Splendid. Bryson DeChambeau and Marco Mira. Yes. As well as many others, even par, currently at the Masters. So, is guy whose ankle popped out during the par three playing? Tony Finau. Tony Finau. Is is he going to play today? Do we know that for sure? He has an MRI, showed no extensive damage, and he plans on playing at the Masters. On CBS. He he popped his ankle back into place like I would... 
pop the top off of a can. Yeah, it was. You're right. It was. It was like if any of us popped our ankle out of the socket like him, we would probably like pass out, freak out, call nine one one. He was so calm, popping it back in. It's almost like it happens to him on a regular basis, and it's mm-hmm. no big deal. But he's gonna play. He's gonna play with an ankle that was dislocated in the par three tournament. Thad Levine, Twins general manager, will join us when we come back. Also, Chip Scoggins, John Buchigras is in town for the Frozen Four. Yes. He is scheduled to come in studio in the 10 o'clock hour. Lou Nanny, Roy Smalley, we are loaded. Mackie and Judd are back. Audio level full volume. It's go time. On 1500 ESPN. Left field. Rosario charges. They're going to send the runner. Here's Rosario's throw to the plate. Right on target. A strike from Rosario to Castro to cut down the run. Ground ball, backhanded. Sano with that rifle arm gets him. What a play by Miguel Sano. Ending the ball game. All right, Mackie and Judd, Twins general manager Thad Levine. Did you have a shovel in hand yesterday, or was it just was it like a ceremonial photo, or did you actually do shoveling yesterday? I think it was a little bit of each. I was I was in there with the with all the coworkers shoveling. An experience I must admit I never never had being in Texas the last eleven years, but it was a galvanizing moment for the whole crew, and uh, hopefully the fans will will enjoy the game today as a result. Where does shoveling in a ballpark as GM of a team rank among the things that you probably thought you you would not do when you decided to get into a, a career of baseball administration and being an executive in MLB? Well, I, w- I will say the the conversations and interviews were pretty lengthy. To get this opportunity, that that topic never never was brought up, uh, but it was it was a great experience. I think everyone really rose to the occasion yesterday, had a little fun with it, and uh, it's, it's it's amazing what pulling a whole organization together what you can accomplish. There was a lot of snow in the stadium, and we're able to remove at least at least most of it. So le- legit question about weather. I mean, obviously, if if there's precipitation, you would cancel a game. Do baseball games get canceled for cold? I mean, if it's like five degrees wind chill on Saturday or something, is it just hey, put you know, put an extra layer on and play, or would a game ever get postponed because it's too cold? It's a, it's a great question, and you know, one you don't think you're going to have to contemplate. But uh, Derek Falvey, Dave St. Peter, and I had a conversation just the other day about that in terms of I don't know that we have an exact temperature, but it's something we wanted to talk to Paul Molitor about. And some of our coaching staff, what, what is too cold to play in? When, when are we starting to put our, our players in harm's way? And also our fans to a certain degree. I mean, I know they're probably a little bit more resilient than most of our players, but we want this to be an enjoyable experience for them as well. So that's something we've contemplated, something we may actually have to weigh as we go through this homestand, as I think we've got some more nasty weather on the horizon. But we're going to take it day by day right now, and today's looking Sunny and at least at least tipping the scales above thirty, which hopefully will be enough for the players to get out there and join themselves and get a win. Hi, I believe on Saturday, Thad of twenty eight, so that might be tough. Uh, how difficult does it make it too though to decide to, uh, to potentially postpone games against teams that come in once? And that's the one thing I don't get. I don't understand why why MLB didn't have you guys open at home against like Detroit or Chicago because if it gets cold if it gets snowed out okay you, you just make that up because they're going to come back a lot uh, but starting uh, Seattle Houston to me didn't make sense because I, I would take it that has to be taken into consideration that if you have to bring them back in August it's going to be on a mutual off day. It, it's it's a really good point and it's one that uh, you know I think Major League Baseball is attentive to those sorts of things. I think this is just goes to show you the Rubik's Cube of having 30 clubs playing early in the season. It's difficult to accommodate uh, in-division games for every single team. But, 
it is something we're, we're already starting to look at. We're, we're looking at the mutual off days for Seattle. We're looking at mutual off days for Houston, even in advance of the series. So we know that if we're going to propose postponing a game, especially if it's just due to temperatures, not due to precipitation, the impact that that's going to have on both clubs. And so we started mapping that out a little bit. It's amazing how much time in the front office you do spend with some of these scheduling uh, conversations early in the season. We'd love to be spending more time talking about baseball, but it's a reality of the sport right now. And we're trying to stretch the season out a little bit to give the players more off days to try to keep them healthier. The challenge is that that pushes the season a little bit earlier. And then we've got to contemplate the, the injuries that could arise from playing in just really, really cold and clement weather. Uh, it's something that we, it's a constant conversation between the clubs and Major League Baseball. So so Thad Levine's our guest here, Twins General Manager, Mackie and Judd. Uh, John Butchergrass is coming in studio in like an hour. Lou Nanny, Roy Smalley, uh, it's, a, it's a packed show today. Uh, I know I don't expect you to pull back the curtain and unveil all of the, the front office secrets, but can you just give us sort of a, at least an illustration of how much different or some of the things that over the past year and change since you and Derek took over things that might be different now than a year ago or things that you're you're proud of building um just for our audience and for our purposes. I mean we see stories about like you guys hired Josh Kulk from the Rays and and he hasn't done a media interview ever because he's a secret stealth analytics pitching guru. But like what are some things that you can share with the audience about what might be different now? Well, it's mostly Josh Kulk. That's that's mostly what we've done. No, I, you know I that's not Josh even his real name, right? Like witness protection. Program. Baseball man of mystery, Josh Kulk. <laughs> yeah, right. I so I, I think I think Josh actually represents what we've tried to do since we got here. You know, one of the things that Derek and I observed from afar and then shared with Dave St. Peter and Jim Polad once we got here was the, just the fact that the Texas Rangers and the Cleveland Indians had invested quite a bit more in resources that they're putting around the, the the key tenets of our sport, which is talent evaluation, talent acquisition, and then, you know, game strategy and those sorts of things. And so Jim Polad was extremely supportive of our, our plan to build that, those systems out. And I think over the first year, we're, we're really happy with what we've done. Uh, so we've built on the tradition of the Minnesota twins. We've built on the work ethic uh, and of the and the loyalty of this organization and and supplied some of the people here with with just enhanced resources and some of that came in the form of people such as Josh and multiple others and some of it came in, th- in the form of systems and technology that we've invested in we're hopeful as we continue moving forward that it will really help our decision making as we as we acquire talent as we evaluate it as we develop it and then ultimately the decisions we make around our major league baseball team I think that the, the structure is in place now. Uh, we're now just letting it kind of gel and settle. And I think for years to come, it will pay dividends for the Minnesota Twins. So to, to that point, that how close now is this franchise to being where you guys want it as far as, as you know, people being hired for different jobs, added staff? Are we close now or are there still some moves to go? No, I, I think we are close. Um, I, I do. I would say this. I, I do think we're going to view this as a forever evolutionary process. We're aspirational as staying towards the front end of the cutting edge in baseball. So I think we're hopeful that we'll be one of the first adopters to, to new systems, to new positions, to new, new intelligence we can put around our decision making. So I don't know that we'll ever feel like we're we're settled and we're we're just going to sit back and and rest, but I do think that the infrastructure of the people we have in place now is, is really strong. We have a chance to have competitive advantages in the, the scouting space, the analytics space, the player development space, and, 
and we're really encouraged with the progress and the growth of the organization. Here's a new band name proposal for you. The Eddie Rosario Experience. I think we had all of it on display last night, good and bad, in Pittsburgh. Yeah, he, he's one of the most miraculous players in the game right now. He's, you know, he's, he's so uniquely skilled in the sense that he's able to throw out a runner at the plate and hit a triple and hit a walk-off home run in the same game. Usually those types of skills are a little bit mutually exclusive. He, he possesses them all. But he plays the game with, with uh, an energy and almost a reckless abandon, which I think speaks to why when he steps up in Yankee Stadium in a playoff game, he's totally unfazed and he's ready to really embrace the challenge. Uh, but then I think it leads to some, some moments in the season in which you're, you're left scratching your head a little bit. But I, I look at Eddie Rosario as the type of player that if you, if you ironed out all the wrinkles with this player, I think you'd find that you have much less of a player than what you have today. I think you got to really enjoy the upside of this guy, and sometimes it's going to come with a few head scratchers. But the upside's pretty special; it puts him in pretty unique skill set within the the game. And we saw last night he has the ability to really change the the track of games. His his throw to the plate last night, I think, was a pivotal moment for for the game. I think that's when the game could have gotten a little bit away from us. He put his foot down, stopped stopped the run scoring, and then we came back and scored the four runs. And I, I think those two things were very related last night. The part of the, the story that I love, Thad, was he hits the pop-up, right? And he's standing at home plate. He doesn't run. The Pittsburgh catcher says, I can't find it. And Rosario starts trying to convince him, it's over there. Run that way <laughs> instead of running. Now that's a good story. It's a good story, and that may have been the part that was the head-scratching part I was referring yes. to. <laughs> <laughs> do do these Sano strikeouts uh, bug you guys, or is this just part and parcel of, of who he's going to be as a player? Do you think? I, well, I, I think yes. The answer is in short, yes. The, the, he he will be a guy who's going to have some strikeouts, and uh, with the power profile, I think that's what you're going to we're, we're going to have. We're going to have a lot of home runs. We're going to have hopefully a lot of doubles, and we are going to. It's going to come with some strikeouts. But boy, it's really tough to evaluate hitters early in the season for two major reasons. One is. Uh, last night, I couldn't help but notice that it seemed as if it was snowing during that game. And then, it, so the, the weather is really fluctuating early in the season for the guys. It's really disadvantageous to the, the hitters. And then secondarily, just with the way our schedule set up, where we opened in Baltimore, we opened in Pittsburgh, and now we're opening at home, we've had so many off days, it's tough for the hitters to get in any sort of rhythm. So I'd be reluctant to, to really evaluate the offensive players until we saw some consistent at-bats and ideally consistent at-bats and temperatures above 50 degrees. At that point, I'd try to sink my teeth a little bit more into the numbers at that time, a little bit more willing to give a, give a pass at this juncture of the season just due to the adversity the hitters are facing. Have we gone, and just in general, your theory on, on to what degree do strikeouts matter? Like Mike Trout won an MVP award a couple of years ago. I think, he, I think he was one of the top five strikeout hitters in baseball, but he filled in every other plate appearance with production. So, But then there's situations where you want to put a ball in play for obvious reasons, so... Um, I feel like maybe 50 years ago, striking out was was a red flag. It was just like like a like a badge of honor to not strike out, and hitters are much more comfortable with it now. So, like, to what degree do strikeouts matter negatively in your mind? I, I think it's a, it's a still part of the game. I mean, just very simplistically, the more the more balls you put in play, the more pressure you put on defenses, the more good things that can happen. But I think our sport is a, is a general overarching thing right now. Is that we're seeing. Uh, People are giving giving up strikeouts to, to get extra base hits and specifically home runs. I'm not sure that's going to change anytime in the immediate future. I will say the Houston Astros last year won the World Series. They were talented on a lot of fronts, not the least of which was the fact that they hit the ball out of the ballpark 
and put the ball in play more frequently than most other teams. I think that's really the key. If you can find both, uh, you have a chance to be a champion. I think it, uh, I think it could be a bit of a dangerous combination as a team as a whole, and that's the beauty of our lineup is we do have some home run hitters who do strike out quite a bit, and we sprinkle in guys like Brian Dozier and Joe Maurer and even a guy like Robbie Grossman and who really grind at bats and, and give you a balance. I think those offenses that are all or nothing uh, usually deliver just that over the course of a season. Yeah. Thad Levine, Twins general manager, stay warm today. It'll all be over in like a month, this weather, once we get to like May or July. Thanks, Thad. Something like that. Well, happy opening day, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, man. All right. We'll talk soon. Thad Levine, Twins general yeah, manager. Out there shoveling. Yeah. I mean, they had like... They had like a hundred employees or something. Like, yeah, they Derek has bring, a story about it. He said, on our "Bring website. your shovels." Yeah, Derek actually like did some insiding on the <laughs> on... twins shoveling on 15rdspn.com yesterday. Uh, Chip Scoggins is going to come hang out with us for the next half hour. Chip is late. I don't know what he's. You guys, you and Harrigan are actually <laughs> very concerned, and I'm not joking. Uh, you know, he's usually here at like 8.05 I know, this you guys are worried about him. He's got a long day, though. He's covering the Frozen Four tonight. Speaking of, John Butchergrass is going to join us in studio, uh, expected to be here around 10.15 or so. Lou Nanny, Roy Smalley, it's Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. These men are consummate snowball artists. Mackie and Judd. Is this true? Yes, it's true. On 1500 ESPN. A drive to left field. Brian Dozier hits one. The top of the fence and then into the seats. His fourth home run of the year. Chip Scoggins in the house. What's you were going worried? On, you really were worried. You're alive and well. well you're usually here at like 7:45 a.m. for your 9:30, uh, 9:15 appearance. You've created. Well, that Chipper. What's about my time? That's fine. I'll come in. Hey, late. we <laughs> offered you a chance to do the interview yourself. See, Chipper, that's right. You <laughs> I took the extra time to sleep in. Well. This, this yeah. is what when when you show up at, at the Boston airport at 4:45 <laughs> for an eight o'clock flight the expectation becomes right. if chip if chip is just a little bit late he must be dead yeah he's, we were looking on he's traffic clear, cam yeah. trying to find your car he's clearly been involved in some type of fatal That's accident right. on 94 oh, people yeah. were very concerned there's a car fire it must be chip <laughs> he's not here oh man so we're, we're we've been talking twins for we talked yeah. to that levine obviously uh well, john butchergrass we'll talk some hockey in the 10 o'clock hour lou nanny but um it's a it's some good signs three very and two good. the bullpen We'll see what happens going forward, but the fact that you can have like Addison Reed and Trevor Hildenberger just putting out fires in those key innings, yeah. and then give a nice four run cushion to Fernando Rodney to go out there and eat snow and put a couple guys on base, that seems like a pretty good formula. Can you imagine this summer with Fernando Rodney? There, there are going to be moments where he's going to light up Twitter many nights. I think. Oh, it'd be fun. He'll yeah. light up Minnie and Paul a couple times too. <laughs> That's right. With it's baseballs. Gonna, with, yeah. It's going to be great fun. Yeah. So, so he allowed, I think it was 15 runs in April last year, but then he'll give you like two months where he's the best reliever in baseball. He's striking out everybody. Over under on the number of times that Mulder gets asked post games if he's sticking with but Rodney. It, a lot, but it doesn't make sense to take your best reliever in Addison Reed and tuck him away in the ninth inning. And maybe miss out on chances to keep games close for more high leverage situations. And, and that's and, and Addison Reed agreed to those parameters when he mm. signed. So if you pay me like the top reliever and you put me in the the toughest situations, I don't care about the save as a statistic. What if he blows a couple games, Rodney? Though they'll still trot him out there. Yeah, and but I I don't think that if it really went south and they replaced him, I don't think Reed would, would be the guy. I think Reed would stay doing what, what he's doing. Uh, and they would find someone like else to do it. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah. but the bet is this. 
Odds that that by the end of the year, Molly has taken up smoking. <laughs> That's the bet. That's the bet. Post just game. lighting up in the dugout. He's going Leland. He's got the Marlboro. Oh, that was a tough one, boys. That was a tough one. Man, this heater tastes good. Uh, I will say. I will say. Um, excuse me. Th- that lineup is going to score a lot of runs. I mean, you look at the contributions they're going to get up and down the lineup, and um, you know Dozier. Obviously, I mean, he's what historically started slow, and he's got four home runs already. And Sano's, uh, you know, hitting the ball well and. So I, I think that lineup's going to be pretty, uh, pretty potent. And you know, when you get Buxton coming along, you know he's hit, he's hit the ball hard a couple times that he's gotten unlucky on. But um, it's going to be a fun team. I, I think, you know, I, I was concerned when they lost Polanco, how that was going to sort of affect uh, the team. But when you put Escobar out there and the way he hits, if he can handle the everyday, you know, defensively, uh, I, I don't know how much of a blow that's going to be. Yeah. You know, ordinarily in baseball, I think getting off to a hot start can be, as a team, can be sort of overrated where, like, if you... But where I think it matters for the Twins, the first two or three months, it's not enough just to get off to a decent start where you're a couple games over 500. I think if you get off to a flying start and you're maybe even, like, in that mix with Cleveland and you have and you have a legit record going into June and July, it might be the difference between... Maybe you make a like a tweak trade to add a reliever yeah. or a third starter, and well, wait a second. If you add, a, if you add a Chris Archer to this team, they can <laughs> yeah. win the World Series. I think separating yourself from is it a team that can make the playoffs or is it a team that can do something in the playoffs is going to be important in the first half. Yeah, and I think a, a good, uh, you know, a fast start too is important because you're doing it without Irv Santana, and then all of a sudden you're going to add him back to the rotation, and yes, and that's going to bolster that, and so. It's positive signs because, you know, that last week there where, or last two weeks, you know you're not without, you know, you're going to be without Santana. Polanco's down. Um, you weren't sure what was going to happen with Sano yeah. that you feared that was going to be a suspension. Now, all of a sudden, those things are starting to clear up and you're, you know, you got off to a good start here. The best thing here, pitching-wise, is this. You went from a year ago, a rotation where you said, if Gibson fails, we're in trouble. This mm-hmm. team's in trouble, Right. Now, if a guy like Gibson fails, you say he's bumped out. Yeah. Bullpen. A year ago, you're bringing in guys who you're now bringing in the fifth and sixth, in the eighth, and potentially the ninth. And you're saying, man, if this if this young guy fails, you're in trouble again. Yeah. Well, now if they fail, it's too bad, but it's it's not going to be a death knell. So pitching wise, both starting and bullpen, I think they have really set themselves up to to give themselves the ability to say. There are air, there are now things that if they don't go well, it's going to be okay. As opposed to this is a complete disaster yep. because Gibby's we're in June and Gibby's awful, and now he's in Rochester. Yeah, and that's the thing. It, 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 for the first time in a long time, it just feels like a legitimate pitching staff. Whereas in years past, you're like, this is a joke. I mean, come on, what, what are you even doing? And, and so it, it gives you confidence, and I'm, I'm sure it gives everybody in that, that clubhouse confidence. And um, I mean, you've mentioned Gibson a couple times. What a turnaround that guy's had. And he needs to prove it for a longer period here, too. Yeah, but it, but, but it looks, the way it looks. Why? It's, it's, he was so bad, Phil. Well, he was, but he's only, I mean, I'm saying he's only done it for like a month and a half at the end of last year and then his first start. And you have to make a decision. Is he part, is he a guy that's going to be part of this thing? He's a free agent after this year. Is yeah. he a part of this thing long term? And he'll have the whole year to prove it. Yeah. Or, but but just the fact that you can trot him back out there. When he left that last time, right. you thought, okay, that that's the last time we're seeing him. Right. Well, Thad said something in that last segment 
And it's going to be, they're, they're never going to open up the books, so to speak, in terms of the things they're doing behind the scenes. When he talks about these these people systems and technology systems that are there to help bolster performance of players or in-game strategy um, or or identify talent in trades and draft picks and these things, like that's the, that's the first and foremost thing Derek Falvey and Thad Levine identified. And, and fans oftentimes get mad if you don't sign a big free agent. and that, mm-hmm. But like that's not the difference between a team that's toiling and behind the times and losing 90 games and winning a World Series. The difference is, are you scouting and identifying and using updated analytics? And, and, and for Thad Levine to come on the air 10 minutes ago and say, we want to be at the forefront. We want to be the ones that are paving a path in that regard. That's the type of thinking that can take a former first-round draft pick who's failed at age 30 in Kyle Gibson, add some seasoning, maybe make a couple tweaks here and there, and boom, all of a sudden he's a reliable number 3 starter, right? Yeah. And I'm not going to crown him that yet, but he's showing some signs of making that turnaround. Yeah, and it's you know, it's just obviously for fans and probably me too, just a lot sexier to see all the free agent or the things you can see with your eyes. Yeah, and those we, things we don't see too. these other yeah. things. You know, we don't see the behind the scenes, the analytics guys, the pitching, the scouting. We don't see it. I don't even know. Do we know how many people they've hired to bolster I their think, infrastructure? I, 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 for some reason, I heard about in spring training. Did he have a number on yeah, it? Yeah, I thought he did, and I thought it was really high. I think it's like 40. There's yeah, like 40 additional yeah. bodies or something. What do you do? <laughs> yeah. Well, when they came in, and, 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 and they put it delicately, like, well, you know, compared to Cleveland and Texas, we just had to make a couple upgrades here and there. The conversations when those guys came in, they were looking around the organization, and they were saying things like, wait a second. You have one guy doing those four things. You yeah. have nobody doing that or nothing yeah. that represents Poor this Jack over Goyne here. Jack Goyne was their guy. Yeah. yeah. And Jack, you Our know. analytics guy. And they needed. <laughs> huh? And, I am. And Jack is working with the Arizona Diamondbacks now. And he's yeah. a sharp dude. And, like, I always, I would have conversations with Jack when I covered the team a few years ago. I said, dude, they need, like, ten of you. He's like, yeah. I know. But they put. <laughs> they <It's> put. Like, <laughs> they, they had an, an empty suite last year, yeah. which didn't sell, shockingly. And and I want to say they put all of their new people in that suite with with their computers basically. The analytics guys. Yes, right, yeah. and they they all sat, but but they are secretive about it. But it They're is this solitaire. Whole, but is this whole world? <laughs> it's this whole world though of people doing things that the twins never really did consistently it, it, or didn't do in mass at least. And I would love to know like, is that every team now that has this this infrastructure that has that to varying degrees? I mean, it's if you. Obviously, there's a like a bell curve on it. There's yeah, some yeah. teams that are all in to the point of you know spending tens of millions of dollars. By the way, Tiger Woods uh, into the gallery yeah. left, teeing off on the it's first over. hole here. It's Masters, yeah. yeah. So yeah, right. you can write him. That's why I didn't pick him. It's not good, yeah. but um, but you know, it's if you compared that landscape to ten or fifteen years ago, ten or fifteen years ago, obviously the, the Oakland Athletics, Tampa yeah. Bay Rays, uh, Boston Red Sox, and there was. The Indians were pretty early adopters in terms of let's beef up the the front office guy. That's why Derek Falvey is a president yeah. of baseball operations now. Every team is in more than they were ten or fifteen years ago. It's just how much the Twins were at the back end yeah. five years ago. Now they might actually be at the front end, but it's really hard to compare because again, teams keep this stuff on the hush. Well, that's the thing. They, I mean, they're so secretive now because they don't want their what they're the way they're doing yeah. things out in the open it's football but, like now yeah oh without a doubt that's Very what i was their thing is like if it strikes me as a lot of the nfl yes we don't want people to know our secrets well it's because 
Rick's scared that the Packers are going to find out, and the Packers are going to be really good next That's year. Right. Yeah, and the Packers are like, we don't have any secrets. Yeah, we we just have Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mackie and Judd hanging out with Chip. John Butchergrass going to join in about 30 minutes. Lou Nanny, Roy Smalley. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. Here we go. On 1500 ESPN. Join 1500 ESPN and the beer show's Chris Reavers for the 2018 Minnesota Brewers Ball. It'll be at the International Market Square building in Minneapolis this Saturday, the 7th. Enjoy samples from more than 30 breweries, all while raising money for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. The evening also includes some great food, the silent auction, and live music. General admission and VIP tickets are available online or at the door Saturday night. Details all at 1500ESPN.com, keyword events. Thank you, Dave. Mackie and Judd hanging out here in the TCL Broadcast Studios. Our buddy Chip Scoggins from the Star Tribune and StarTribune.com. And the Wolves play their first of two games against Denver. They've got four games left. The Western Conference standings, it's like there's six teams <laughs> yeah. all just bunched, and someone's going to be... The Clippers, are, the Clippers are two games back in the loss column, but Denver... Could jump back in here. Uh, Jimmy Butler, doubtful tonight, according Ooh. to the Wolves. Not out, but doubtful tonight. Yeah, you could go from like fourth to out easily in these last in the mm-hmm. last week. You know? For sure. And if if they uh, if the Wolves lose tonight, uh, it's going to get tight. <laughs> Things are going to get well, really It's already tight, tight if, if you're talking yeah. about how the players are reacting. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. That, um, no, that no show on uh, Sunday was yeah, embarrassing. That, that, that just bugs you. When... You've talked for two years now with this new regime and players, how important it is to get to the playoffs, and this is going to be the year. And you're making your stamp, and you know when when they made the Butler trade that day, uh, Towns is talking about this is how dynasties are built, and you have your most important game in a decade, and you couldn't care less. But is it okay? Is it that you couldn't care less? This is where this is where I have a problem with. Everything Tom Thibodeau and Jimmy Butler say in their critiques of the team, it's always got to be mentally tougher, got to be more physical, got to you got to you got to want it more. Or is it that they're just not? Are they just not cohesive? Are they just not being taught the right way to play defense? I think there's a huge disconnect between the team yeah. and Tom Thibodeau, and then Jimmy Butler is on Team Tom Thibodeau, and will clearly side with him as he did in the you know his quotes the other day. Well, there was a play in that game. Rubio had the ball down there. The Jazz's. Um... Uh, bench, Wiggins was on him. I don't know if it, how he got on him as a switch or whatever, but he drove baseline and shot a reverse layup. And I don't think Wiggins gave an ounce of effort on that. It was just, it was incredible. I'm like, are you not even going to try? And and that that's the part that there's no resistance. Utah got whatever shot they, if they want to shoot a three, they shot a three. If they wanted to drive in there and dunk it, they did that. And it, there was just no resistance defensively. And so it just bugged you. Um, and there is a disconnect there. Uh, as of Monday, they were 26th in the NBA in defensive rating, which is pretty much what they were last year. That's what they were before the All Star break. So and that's the what they were with Jimmy Butler. And yeah, the rest of the Western Conference playoff teams are fairly high, high right? Yeah, compared yeah. to that, which is hard. And so even with Butler, they were 26. Yeah. So something's not working. I think. Even, I think what bugged you about Sunday too, though, is this: Utah comes here. And Utah plays a different style, but but they execute in all the areas where the Wolves don't. Their defense is brilliant. Yeah, they come into your building and they play, and they basically play a defensive style that you were convinced was coming to your team in the, the Wolves. And that's what bugged me was the Jazz are doing all of the things that the Wolves should be doing mm-hmm. because they're not all fun to do and they're certainly not all sexy. 
And the wolves sort of you stand there, and there's and I think the best way to put this is there's no direction. Yeah, there's no and, and if Tibbs is teaching a system defensively, it's just not being listened to. Actually, you know what? Just to jump in on this, Britt Britt Robson wrote a really interesting piece yesterday for the Athletic, examining his conclusion is with the moves that Tom Thibodeau executive made this offseason, all offensive minded players, right? Jeff Teague, Jamal Crawford brought back Shabazz Muhammad, and then mm-hmm. they jettisoned him. Uh, that. We regard him as this defensive mind and and chastise him because it's not working. But all the moves he's made and the way the team winds up winning their games, it's all based on offense. So maybe he's making this shift, whether it's consciously or not, to which I would say, okay, even if you are now an offensive-minded coach, it's certainly clunky more often than it, you know, fourth quarter. It's isolation. It's clunky. Carl Anthony Towns should be by far leading the team in shot attempts. He's one of the most efficient players in the NBA. He doesn't. So, well... you look at their offensive rating, I think they're fourth in the NBA. And that's great. I and mean, is that scheme, or is it just you got you Carl got the, Anthony Towns, you well, got Jamal Crawford, and you got probably you both. Know, Jimmy Butler? Probably both. But you can't get around. They're 26 in defense. Yeah. I mean, how are you going to win that way? You, you're just not going to get to where you want to be, being one of the worst defensive teams in the NBA. But to, to Britt's point, then, if that was the goal, how do you not have a guy who can knock down threes all the yeah. time? Like if that, like if you say, if you rightfully say the NBA in 2018 has shifted a lot and and the most in three point sh- shooting, right? Mm-hmm. Redick was out there, JJ yeah. Redick. How do you not go sign him to a three year contract and say we're we're going to overpay here, but it's worth it? That's the one thing offensively when you watch them, because when they play teams like Houston and Golden State, for the most part, guess what? They work their asses off to try to get two points. Their opponent yeah. comes down and gets a three, well, and then that's and, it. And it, Denver's one of the top five or six three-point shooting teams in the yeah, league, and you're going to see that tonight, too. And they, yeah, they, they, that's a component that's missing. They do they do need to add that. But you look at a Utah game, why did they lose? Because they couldn't stop them. They, they could not do anything defensively to stop Utah. Utah did whatever they wanted to offensively. And until they figure that out, yeah. and it, it, even if, if, if Tibbs was becoming an offensive guy and not a defensive guy, that's wonderful, but... Your team is terrible hey, defensively. But, you know, there's a lot of teams that we talked about this yesterday. You know, Boston, San Antonio, uh, I mean, Utah to some extent, where it's pretty obvious the sum of the parts mm-hmm. or the system is greater than any individual player loss. Like the Spurs can lose Kawhi Leonard, one of the best five players in the NBA, and they're still going to win like 48 games this year. Uh, the Celtics can lose Kyrie Irving for a large chunk and Gordon Hayward and still yeah. beat anybody home or away on any given night. But then there's teams like the Cavs who are just LeBron-centric or the Wolves who are Jimmy Butler-centric. If he's gone, there's not this cohesive system or this cohesive unit that can say, you know what, we're not going to be as good without him, but we're not going to be a disaster yeah. defensively. We're not going to lose to teams like Memphis without Jimmy Butler. Yeah. So they're like they're so reliant on Jimmy Butler, which to me is a knock on coaching. Well, yeah, and, and, and I don't think it's all Tibbs and it's not just all players. I mean, I know Jimmy came out yesterday and – really defended Tibbs and said there's no coach in the world that can make you play hard. Well, I think there is, probably. Pop does it. Yeah, to say, <laughs> to say that, to play hard. Like, to discredit coaching to that degree, I get what he's saying. All right, Andrew Wiggins, if you want to be a great player, it's mostly going to be on you. Yes. But if you're insinuating that Brad Stevens doesn't get extra effort or extra production out of his team and out of his players, that's absurd. But what, yeah. Butler, incorrect. what Butler doesn't get is Butler hears Tibbs and says, got the message, I'm going to do it. And I'm good. And he's right about those things. But what he's selling short is 
his teammates aren't listening. Yeah. So Tibbs says so Tibbs says something and Butler goes and he does it and he's fine. And in Butler's mind, he can't understand why doesn't Andrew do this? Why doesn't Carl do do this? Why doesn't the rest of my team do this? And that's on the coach at some point to convey that message and have it get through and not not have it tuned out by ten guys. And you know what the, the just the ironic or I don't know if ironic is the right word is there's a good chance they're going to get in the playoffs for the first time in right. forever, and we're yes. angry. Correct. Everybody's so oh, mad. Yeah, dude, it's, it's, it's just it's it's weird. It's, I know. It's, 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 <laughs> is it is it our fault? Like I don't <laughs> no, know. It's no, so no. Weird. Everybody don't is so yourself. angry at this team. <laughs> no. and doing something not you, Chip. Does. Not you. This isn't <laughs> on you. But to, but to some degree, you know, I think we all do need to take a deep breath, and I'm as guilty as anyone, yeah. you know, in this conversation. Like there, there's an according to numberfire.com this morning, there's a 90 percent chance they make the playoffs. Yeah. They win tonight, which, I think. Which, as Harrigan said before the show, when you factor in it's a Minnesota team, it's really like a coin flip at this point. <laughs> That's yes. right. Actually, uh, we should come back and go over some of these scenarios because the scenarios t- changed even with results last night. So we can dive into some of that. And uh, John Butchergrass is going to come and hang out, talk hockey with us in about 20 minutes. Chip, good stuff. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sorry. Thanks you're sure. covering Frozen sure. Four yeah. tonight. Frozen Four tonight. I'm just glad you're alive and well. I got here I'm safely. Here. We were very yeah, worried. Thank yes. you. Bye. Chip Scott and Star Tribune and StarTribune.com. It's Mackie and Judd.